Take your Bibles, if you will, please, to Psalm Psalm 84. Psalm 84. We have covered many, many things so far in the month regarding the church. Um, When I was teaching it to the youth department in Sunday school, we've kind of been teaching it from the perspective of what can your church do for you. Many times uh, we get up as preachers and as teachers and we're always teaching on the concept of what can you do in your church. Um, But certainly there's somewhat of a give and take relationship. A church is to serve its members. And and there's certain things that uh, a church has to offer its membership. And, and I, I've really enjoyed teaching those lessons. I've, I've enjoyed preaching on this thought and this idea. But tonight I want to preach a, a sermon entitled, How to Change Your Church Experience. How to Change Your Church Experience. In Psalm chapter 84, uh, most people, most Bible students would be fairly familiar with this particular passage of Scripture. We're not certain if this was written by David, although many people do believe it was. Either way, the idea, or most people would believe, that this particular passage of Scripture was a song that was delivered uh, from a man who was unable to attend one of the feasts at Jerusalem. We do not know exactly which one it was. Uh, Many people would guess at it. That's the nature of Bible scholars as they think they know everything. But but, uh, many people would say that it was one of the three major feasts. And it was certainly in commemoration of the time in the wilderness of Israel. And you don't necessarily need to get bogged down in the details. But what you need to know is this is a, a person who had to stay at home from church. And I've been there. Uh, and maybe you've been there as well. Uh, I, I've had to stay at home and it's certainly nice to have the live stream and it's nice to have uh, a little bit of preaching. I remember on Sunday morning when I did have my appendix taken out, we were watching the service in the, uh, uh, I almost called the hospital room a hotel room. It's a far cry from a, a hotel room unless it's Motel 6, in which case the mattresses are quite similar. But uh, uh, we were there in the hospital and we we're listening to the preaching and we're watching the preaching and the nurses are coming in and out and we were having our own little church service. And that's great, but I'm just here to tell you, nothing can replace being in God's house. And don't ever take it for granted either because there are men and women in this church right now who would give their very uh, uh, arm or give all that they had to be here tonight. But health or many other uh, extenuating circumstances are limiting that. And so we take it for granted often, but, but it's good to be in God's house. And it's no place I'd rather be. Psalm chapter 84, as I mentioned, is a man who had to stay at home from church. I understand the Old Testament, and I understand I'm not so foolish to think that the New Testament church is here in Psalm 84, but I think you can understand the comparisons as we read through this chapter of the Word of God. The Verse number 1 of Psalm chapter 84 says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even feigneth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. 
Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Throughout my life, I have been probably given the closeness of my relationship with my father and certainly growing up here in the church. I've seen time and time again people come to church, join the church, get involved in church, only to a few years later leave the church for one reason or another. In our modern day American culture of Christianity, it's so easy to just act as if the church down the street uh, is going to have something not wrong with it. But in my brief experiences with churches, I've learned that there's never been a perfect church except for maybe the one Jesus started, and even that one had Judas in it. And so I really, as hard as we try, and as much as I would like to say, we try to keep a tight ship. I mean, we try to get organized, and we try to do everything that we can. At the end of the day, we are not a perfect church. And many times I've heard people use one excuse or another on reasons why they should leave the church. And I've yet to hear a really good one. Um, I was in the vehicle the other day with one of the nation's most renowned preachers. And I was in conversation with him. Everybody would know his name if I said it. And he told me that someone had just left his church and told him that they did not feel like they were getting fed And this is a man who preaches out probably 200 times a year. People are requesting and begging for him to come preach in their church and someone left his church because he's not feeding them. We can come up with all sorts of excuses, but most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, if you feel like your church experience is lacking, it is not the church. And most of the time it's the condition in which we come to church. So much of our failures when it comes to corporate church worship could be contributed to our lack of preparation to come to church. And so this evening, I just want to take a look at a a man who has such a passion to go to church that when he sat down to write about something, it was like it was the only thing that that he could, could think about. I want to ask him, what are some things that we can do to enhance our church experience? And I think we'll see number one tonight. If we will come with a sense of enchantment, it will greatly improve our church worship. Verse number one, 
the Bible says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. I believe this with all my heart. Familiarity with something breeds indifference towards it. In other words, if you were to take a small child from a village in the mountains of Mexico, old Mexico, take him to New York Times Square and place him right in the middle of it, I wonder what the look on his face would be like. He's never seen anything like what's going on there. Lights flashing, cars honking, people everywhere. This little boy just came from a village of 20 people whose houses are all constructed of the materials that are found around their homes. And now he stands in the middle of New York Times Square looking at all that and trying to take it all in. I would say that would be a little culture shock. And then you could look around as this little boy stands enamored with everything in his new environment. You could look around at the countless hundreds of thousands of people walking by ignoring all of it. As if to say that there's nothing special going on here. Familiarity breeds indifference. It's no new thing. It's no big deal for us to come to church anymore. Man, if we were in China, it might be a little bit bigger deal. We're in America where if we don't like this church, we go down the street to the next one. If we don't like the way they sing, we go down the street to the next one. And I'm here today to tell you that it's not always the church's fault when you are not having a good experience at church. This man uses these two terms, amiable tabernacle. Oh, how amiable are thy tabernacles. The word amiable means lovely or beloved. It calls a sense of a greeting of an old friend. In other words, saying, oh, my beloved brother, when you see someone that you've, you've wanted to see for so long a time, and then you finally get to see them, the sensation and the excitement all culminates to, oh, it's a great day to see you. Amen. And the psalmist says this, How wonderful and lovely it is to be in church. Not only does it say it's lovely, what is lovely about the tabernacle of the Lord? Well, the word tabernacle is not a building. Just like the church is not a building. The word tabernacle has always meant the dwelling place of God or the place where God abides. So when this man says, oh, how amiable, how lovely are thy tabernacles, he's not saying, boy, the architecture is outstanding. The pattern in the rug is just gorgeous. You would be amazed how many times we hear that. I can't believe you vacuum like a baseball field. Well, that's all we can do because we're not going to water the grass anymore. So we figured we would focus on the carpet. We get that all the time, and somebody told me this week, we're known around town as the church that always has good manicured buildings and facilities. Boy, that's a blessing to hear that. And I'm telling you right now, the guys that are doing it are not getting a raise. We can just, uh, if they're wondering. But, But just like our church is not made up of this building, the psalmist was not directing our attention to the tabernacle of God as we think. He was saying it's only a lovely place because of what takes place in the place. If God did not dwell there, it would be just another building. 
If God did not work there, it would just be another edifice. But when God is in it, it is beautiful. The Bible tells us that the heaven is the throne of God and the earth is his footstool. The Bible tells us that there is no building crafted by man's hands that could ever contain our God. And yet we have the promise that where two or three are gathered, there your God will be also. Well, we just get up on Sunday morning and check it off our schedule as if it's another appointment. As if it's just another week at church. But that is the reason our church experience is failing and is not like we would want it to be. Is we treat it like it's normal so it is normal. What we need to do is we need to get up on Sunday morning with a heart of enchantment and wonder and say, today I'm not going to work. Today I'm not going to a nice restaurant. Today I'm not going to go do some hobby that's not going to profit anybody. Today I'm going to go meet with Jesus, my Savior, and God, my King. I'm going to go meet with them, and they're going to speak to me, and the Holy Spirit of God's going to work in my heart. The wonder of going to church, how we've lost it. You say, Brother Andrew, we have not lost it. Okay. You tell me why we're closing down churches then. You tell me why services are not increasing, but they're taking it only to a Sunday morning or a Saturday night evening service. Look, I'm not being critical of those people. I'm here to tell you that it sounds like if it were this man's choice that wrote Psalm 84, he would probably say, no, I want to go Sunday night too. In fact, if if you have something on Monday night, I'll probably be there because it's a wonderful thing when I get to go to church. And yet we get up just as if it's a normal day in our life, expecting nothing different so the results are never different. We need to get the enchantment back. We need to come to church with a sense of enchantment. Number two, I believe... That if we would come to church with a sense of emptiness, we would enhance our church experience. Verse number two, this psalmist says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. You know what he's saying? I'm hungry. I hunger and I crave God's movement in my life. I crave getting to see other Christians as God works in their life. You know what's a wonderful thing? Is when I see teenagers go to the altar. It's a wonderful thing. You say, Brother Andrew, your head's head's supposed to be bowed. Oh, fooey, you don't do it either. It's a wonderful thing when I, when I hear a lot of commotion in the invitation. Now notice I said in the invitation, not before the invitation. Because there's nothing more frustrating to a preacher than a lot of commotion before the invitation. Can I get an amen? Your bus route can wait. What goes on in invitation is the most important time in any church service. If you are not bleeding or something is broken, I encourage you stay in your seat. But, but when you finally get to hear 
Someone stirred, and, and when you see tears spilled to this altar, it's encouraging to see God working in the lives of Christians. And then you begin to feel a tug in your heart. That's encouraging to see. We need to hunger for that. We need to crave God to move in our heart. That's what this man did. Oh, we crave all sorts of things, don't we? Coming off a, a, a recent pregnancy with my wife, I know all about cravings. I was craving food and she was not. I was eating more than I ever have. I don't know if I was eating my feelings or trying to make up for her not eating. I don't know, but I know about cravings. Sometimes somebody will say, I want to go to this restaurant and it'll be one of my favorites. And then my mouth begins to salivate as if I'm going to that restaurant. It's like, you see them there that night when you choose to, hey, what are you doing here? Yeah, I told you I was coming here. Oh, well, I just got a little hungry. I started to crave it. You know what I crave when I hear God doing something in North Carolina? I crave it for our church. When I hear of a revival break out in somewhere else in America, I do not think, oh, I need to go to that revival. I think, how do we get that revival here? How can God work in our place in the same way? For we are not tying God's hands to these types of things. He is not limited geographically in where he can work. I say, God, I want you to do the same thing in my heart. And I want you to do the same thing in the hearts of my friends and my family at church. We need to crave this, this type of thing. We need to be empty if God is to fill us. One of the reasons we do not get full at church is because we come full to church. We come full of disappointments. We come full focused on duties. We think, oh, what do we have to do after church? What does the grocery list say? We have all sorts of distractions when we come to church. You know what we are? We're full of things that are not of God. And I'm saying that a grocery list is a good thing to keep up with. Can I get a hallelujah, Amy? Negative. No, I did not get one. A grocery list is a good thing. Trying to figure out what you got to do at work this week, that's a good thing. But when you come to church focused on those things, how do you expect God to do something in your heart? When your mind is so focused on other things, how do you expect Him to work in the sermon when, when preachers preaching and your mind is going to other things? We are full of too many things that are not of God. And frankly, we're full of carnality. We're full of sin. And what we need to do is we need to empty ourselves of all that is us, and come to God and say, God, empty me of me and fill me with you. We have to come to church empty. In the Old Testament, when Israel would turn to idolatry and turn their back on God, they would need to get right with God, and, and God would instruct them as He does here in the book of Joel, chapter number 2, and his instructions are this. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. What is fasting? Fasting is the physical act of a spiritual need. 
It is you trying to physically show God what you are desiring spiritually. And what he asked Israel to do was, if you're serious about me doing something in your heart, how about you neglect something else that is more fleshly? It's a great lesson, and the sermon tonight is not on fasting, but I will say this, when God wants to do something in our hearts spiritually, Sometimes our physical needs get in the way. We need to empty ourselves. We need to come to church with a sense of enchantment. We need to come to church with a sense of emptiness. We need to come to church with a sense of expectation. Verse number 5, the Bible says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. You know what verse number 5 is saying? Whose heart is set like an interstate on God doing something on it. Directly aligning yourself with God. That's what verse number 5 says. And whose heart are the ways of them. Verse number 6. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Do you come to church expecting God to do something? Do you come to church expecting your preacher to preach on money? Or do you come to church expecting God to do something through your preacher's preaching? If you come to church expecting the music to be good and expecting the preaching to always be good, I'm here to tell you, you're probably going to be disappointed sometimes. As preachers, I'm here to tell you, uh, I do not always preach a good Sometimes I lay an egg. And did you know when I've sung specials, I do not always get the wording right or the timing right. Anybody that sings specials, except Brother Butch, of course. That was solid tonight, Brother Butch. That was good. But but, uh, uh, how many of you have ever sung a special and you realize, oh, no, I've messed up uh, royally. And you go back to your seat and you think, what a terrible job I did. And then somebody comes up to you after church and they say, what a great job. And you say, liar. You Go get right with God now because you're just lying to me. The music's not always going to be perfect, nor is the preaching always going to speak to you. So what is your expectation? Your expectation is that God would speak to you. I, if I believe that if God can do it through a donkey, uh, or a still small voice, I believe he can somehow speak through a service that might be cluttered with uh, uh, bad sound systems and distractions. I believe God can work because he's powerful enough to work in those settings. When you come to church, a few good things to be reminded of is, number one, where your strength lies. Look at verse number five. The psalmist says, blessed is the man whose strength, notice this, is in thee. I need the constant reminder that I cannot trust myself. I cannot trust myself in my daily Christian life and I cannot trust myself in making major life decisions. I was reading the other day in the Old Testament and the Bible says, it is not in man to direct his own steps. So where does our strength lie? Oh, Jesus told Peter... (laughs) Peter, your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
The arm of flesh will fail you, the hymn writer referred to an old passage of scripture. The arm of flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust your own. So where, where does our strength lie? The psalmist tells us, in him. And every once in a while, you need a good old-fashioned sermon to just remind you, whatever trial you're facing, whatever you're going through, trust in God and not in yourself. Good thing to be reminded of is where our strength lies. Number two, a good thing to be reminded of is that trials will come. They always come. And we need to be expecting, and, and I would even say it like this, preparing for the trial to come. What we like to do is have like a, a first responders emergency kit of Christianity when the trial happens. Kind of like we're survivalists. We take our life straw and we take our, our uh, kindling sticks just so that when we get in the middle of our trial, we'll have some things. Oh, uh, uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And we remember these few good verses that we learned in Sunday school all those many years ago. And, and we recall just this little uh, uh, out of luck kit, if you will, uh, uh, when we're trying to get through our trial. But we ought to be preparing for our trial all the time because we're certainly going through one very soon. The Bible says here in verse number 6, do not miss this, who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. Baca in Hebrew literally means weeping. It could be translated this way. Now, I'm not correcting the King James Version. I will never correct the King James Version. Uh, I'm not smart enough, and I think God probably did all that He needed to do when it was done. But, but it could be said this way, who passing through the valley of weeping, turn it into a well. You ever gone through a valley of weeping? I'll be honest, when I was the teenager's age, I had probably never gone through one. But I'm telling you, teenagers, you will. I've never met any Christian with any age that has told me, yeah, my life has been nothing but roses. You always go through trials. What's greater than going through the valley of Baca and the reason you need to come to church is your preacher will occasionally remind you that it is through trials that God works most effectively in your life. I find it odd that the three Hebrew children did not have Jesus with them when they were standing in the plain and everybody else was bowing. I find it odd that Jesus was not with them when they were standing before the king and he was saying, I'm going to give you a second chance, boys, but this time you better bow at what time you hear the harp, the dulcimer, the sack, but and all, you know, all that my, my favorites, the sack, but I don't know why, maybe because I'm a youth pastor, I'm not entirely sure, but, but, uh, I think that it's odd that Jesus is not with them at any of these points in time. And yet when they're in the flame, the hottest part of their trial, it is only then when the king looks in there and says, Is it just me? Or do you see four men loose walking in the fire? And it's odd to me, but the fourth has the image of the Son of God. Now you tell me why it was only then when Jesus showed up 
Because it is in our, the worst part of our trial when Jesus can most effectively work in our lives. And what's amazing about verse number 6 is they turn their valley of weeping into a well. Notice this, verse number 6. The rain also filleth the pools. The valley that they go through, the psalmist says, when you come to church, it's as if God teaches you that no matter what you're going through now, one day you will draw upon this as a resource in your Christian life. Why would you turn your valley into a well so that one day you can drink from it? So that one day they will become pools. You as a Christian will have to draw upon the resources of your Christian life. And I'm telling you now, when preacher makes decisions for our church, he draws upon his experience with God working in his life. A lesson that I'm thankful my dad has taught me is that if you will just let God work it out many times, he'll just take care of the problem. But I bet you if you asked him that, how long it took him to learn that, he'd say, oh, many, many years. What did he do? He began to draw upon the resources of his Christian life. You turn your trial into a well. You turn your trial into something that one day you can look at someone across the table and you can say, hey, I know what you're going through. And I'm here to tell you it may not seem like it now, but God has a plan. Amen. Reminder where your strength lies. Reminder that trials will come. Thirdly, I kind of got into it a little early. A reminder that God always has a plan. He always has a plan. You know, it's much easier to read and quote verses like this. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and to them that are called according to His purpose. What a wonderful promise of Scripture that is. But have you ever been right in the middle of your trial and somebody quote that verse to you and you find your fist just balling up as if to say, you better duck if you keep going. What a hard lesson it is to hear. You know what we have to do? We're so stubborn, we have to experience it. And looking back over the course of our life, we see that God's been there all the while. And even in our darkest and dimmest times, God was there. But notice, where did this psalmist learn this lesson? In church. It was only when he went to church that he recalled this. In a culture that is majoring Bible studies and minoring Christian gathering at church, we need to ask this psalmist where he recalled this. Why can't you just stay home and watch it on the live stream? I mean, we've made it available to you because it was when he went to where God was that he recalled this. And if you only have one person in your family, God doesn't promise to meet with you. Moving on, just saying, because two or three are gathered. But anyway, that's technical math stuff. Anyway, moving on, okay? We need to come with a sense of enchantment. We need to come with a sense of emptiness, saying, God, fill us. We need to come with a sense of expectation. We need to come with a sense of entreaty. Verse number 8. The Bible says, O Lord God of hosts, Hear my, what's the next word there? Prayer. Prayer. 
Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, our God is a, our, uh, behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. Did you know that one of the most, one of the greatest things about the Christian life is at any moment you have God's ear. Something bad happens to you at work. If you can go retreat somewhere and find a private place, there God will be with you. And He will hear your prayer. What a tremendous blessing that is. Did you know any time you need to hear from God, you have at your fingertips, as many other cultures do not, you have the Word of God. And now with mobile phones, once you X out of Angry Birds and Twitter and all the other Pinterest things you got on your phone, you can have the Word of God there too. It's so much more accessible to us now. We have God available to us at all times. But notice, it was at church where this man began to pray. I've many times always been in wonder how as a preacher, you know, you'll preach a sermon and and we have an idea how we did, okay? Don't let any preacher tell you they don't. If a preacher comes down from the pulpit and says, boy, I did a good job, he's lying to you. If a preacher can watch himself preach on live stream and say, boy, I'm a good preacher, he's a fool. Most every time I get done preaching, and I would believe preacher would say the same thing, we feel like we have just tanked. It's just the reality of it. I don't know why it is that way. Probably it's God saying, hey, next time you're going to need me more. But I've, I've never understood how I can say every head bowed and every eye closed. We open the altar for invitation. I'm thinking to the back of my mind, boy, there is no way any person is coming to the altar tonight. I'd be surprised if they don't all leave as soon as we bow our heads for trying to hold in the laughter at the sermon that I've just preached. And many times I've seen the altars filled with Christians who God is moving in their hearts. What a blessing that is. And you know what I always assume? For every person that walks the aisle, I do not assume that, you know, say I preach on sin real hard. I do not assume, oh, that person's getting right with God because they're a wicked sinner. what What a foolish thing that would be to say. I do not preach on prayer and assume that those that come to the altar have a prayerless life and they're trying to get it right. That's not what I assume. You know what I assume? They've got something that they've got to bring to God. Many times I've come to the altar after a sermon. Had nothing to do with the sermon that I was coming to the altar for. I didn't even say anything about what the preacher preached about. You know what I come to the altar for? God, I've got a problem. And tonight as I bow at this altar, I give this problem to you. I can't handle it. I don't know what to do. So God, before all these people at your altar, after preaching, after church, after all that I'm supposed to do as a Christian, I lay it at your feet and I ask you to do with it what you will. There's a songwriter that wrote a song and it sounded like this. If the world from you withhold Of its silver and its gold 
And you have to get along with meager fare. The song goes on and says, Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Not every time you come to church is the preacher going to directly speak on what you need spoken on. Sometimes we'll speak on a nation. This entire next month we'll speak on a nation. That doesn't mean since you are not a nation, you don't have to come to church. What do you come to church for? Because you can do personal business with God and come to church with a sense of entreaty saying, God, I bring you things today. I've been bringing them to you all week, but right now in church, I lay it down and I say, God, you handle my problems. Hannah did that. You remember Hannah? Why didn't she pray at home? It's odd that she went to the temple to pray. She went to the temple. I'm not saying you can't pray to God in your prayer closet. No, it's a good thing, but I'm saying... There is a principle in Scripture that says when you come to church, if you want to improve your church experience, you come expecting God to do things, and you come with a sense of entreaty saying, God, please work in my life. Give me wisdom where I am foolish. Give me strength where I am weak. Give me direction where I am blind. That's the type of prayer we ought to come to church with. So we come to church with all these E words. You can remember them if you want. Number five. We come to church with a sense of enlistment. Verse number 10. This is probably my favorite verse of the entire passage of Scripture we've read tonight. It says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'll add this in there because it's assumed a thousand elsewhere. That could be on the golf course. That could be on the lake. That could be uh, on your recliner with a sweet tea in your hand watching the Rangers kill the Yankees, okay? That could be any of those places. But the psalmist says, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Then he goes on to say, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You cannot come to church all the time and only be on the take. What I mean by that is you can't come and spiritually be desiring if you are not willing to spiritually help others. He says, if I'm going to come to church, I would rather just serve God in the most minor capacity possible than to go to the tents of the wicked to have people waiting on me hand and foot. I would rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than be served in the tents of the wicked. That's what he's saying. If you're not serving God where you're at, and I don't care where it is, whatever ministry God has for you, do it to the best of your might. That's a biblical principle. But you need to be serving. Somewhere, somehow, some way, you need to be serving. Why? Because you spiritually take in so that you can spiritually 
give out. If you only put water in a vessel and that water stays in that vessel, the water will stagnate and become useless. It is only when that water begins to overflow, spill out, and new water is poured in that that water continues to stay fresh. You want your Christian life to be vibrant? You begin to find places to serve God. You say, I'm not the most talented. It just so happens I'm not either. You say, I'm not the most qualified. It just so happens I only got this gig because I'm the preacher's kid, okay? <laughs> we, we all have our problems, right? Listen to me. You need to find a place to serve. Because the psalmist said, I would rather serve God in the smallest of places than to have someone else serving me in any other way. The Bible says when Jesus came, he did not come to be served. He came to serve, to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It is only when we are sensitive to the service of the Lord when we will experience the true fullness of his presence. Do you know it was only when God told them that they would be endued with power from, from on high when they actually got out and started serving. Guys, you stay here in Jerusalem and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit of God. For what purpose? To serve. You will be ministers unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the other, uh, other parts of the world. Well, what's going to happen? The Holy Ghost shall come upon you. You want God's presence fully uh, abiding in your life? Find a place to serve Him. God will use you. God will help you. It's a sad day when we see church members leave. I can't tell you all the many things that we do as a church staff to make sure that we have this phrase around here, that no one falls through the cracks. Brother Marshall, he knows this term better than probably anybody. We do not want someone to come to our church and never have someone shake their hand or never have someone go meet them and say, hey, how can we help you? What can we do for you? If they leave us a card, we want to go say, do you have a church home? We want you to be a part of our church. We try, we've developed all sorts of processes and systems to make sure that we are following up on those new recruits to our church. And it breaks my heart every time we see someone leave out the back door. Knowing how hard we work to get them in only to watch them leave later, it breaks my heart. I've heard all sorts of reasons. Preacher, uh, I don't like the style of preaching. I don't like the music program. Brother Sean's head glows. I've heard all sorts of excuses. (laughs) But I've never heard a good one. Uh, In fact, many of the times people come to me and say, Preacher, I'm moving away. And we'll say, what church are you going to? Find a church. Get plugged into a church. Because the health of the Christian life many times is determined by their worship when they come to church. Did you know that your public worship is only an example of your private worship? So the effectiveness of church for us is only as effective as our private worship with God. You can't expect a preacher to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. 
That's why Paul called them babes in Christ, I suppose. Do you need help in your church experience? Is it just another thing you check off the list? I believe that if we'll come to church with a sense of enchantment, with a sense of excitement, with a sense of expectation, with a sense of enlistment, God will be able to do something in our hearts every single time we come to church. 